Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, where we talk in depth with everyday people about their fears, struggles, and triumphs over mental health issues. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and I hope over the next half hour you will be engaged, enlightened, and inspired to live your very best life. My guest today is Catherine Grace Muloki. Catherine began therapy at the age of eight after being the victim of school bullying. At age 11, Catherine resumed therapy for depression. She recently celebrated her 21st birthday and will be participating in this weekend's Shenandoah Valley Out of the Darkness Walk for Suicide Prevention. Welcome, Catherine, to the podcast. Hi, it's nice to be here. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and uh, a belated happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you so much. It was it was a lot of fun. Probably not as much fun had there not been COVID. No, um, you know, I wish that I had spent my 21st birthday, you know, going to a bar or the classic 21 bar crawl type of thing. But I spent it with a group of people that I work with and they made sure that I had a good, safe time. So, you know, it was it was still a lot of fun. Well, tell our listeners a little bit about your early childhood, because, you know, eight is a fairly young age, I think, to go for therapy. Maybe I'm wrong. So would yeah. you mind sharing a little bit about your early childhood? Yeah. Um, so the therapy that I did was more uh, what they consider like play therapy. Um, so instead of like sitting down with a therapist across in a chair, uh, what they do is they kind of engage the child in a way that they talk about their issues while playing. So we're playing house and, you know, with the dolls and everything. And they ask you, oh, so what is, you know, mom and dad normally say in this situation or that situation? Um, or I remember I did a lot of uh, fake cooking shows where out of mm -hmm. sand and black beans. Um, Interesting. I, yeah. And it was just kind of a way to talk about my issues in a, in open me up. Um, without it being like a serious situation where I knew that something was really wrong. Um, but I, I did know that something was wrong um, because, you know, I had girls, I had a girl at school who made it very clear that she didn't like me and that she didn't want me to be around or didn't want me there and, you know, tried to get my friends to not be friends with me and would leave me out of things at recess and pick on me in the classroom. And, um, and then at the same time, I got, I, I, I've been lactose intolerant my whole life. And I've been a very anxious person my whole life as, as long as I can remember. Um, and I got, I ate pizza and ice cream one night and little did we know I had the flu and I started throwing up. Oh. Um, and after that, I was terrified to eat anything. Um, that wasn't on my list of safe foods. Um, and that that went on for a couple of years of me not really eating a whole lot and trying a whole lot. And I wouldn't eat anything with milk or cheese or anything. And it wasn't very great for me. Um, so that's kind of why my parents started me in therapy was they didn't they didn't really know how to deal with me. They didn't know how to deal with the situation. Um, and so they they turned to professionals. Well, you talk about being um, 
Dairy Intolerant, which I can relate to. You talk about school bullying. Were you able to talk to your parents? Like starting, I'm going to go back to, you know, the first time you went in 88. Um, I guess you shared with your parents that you were bullied and they thought that you needed to go to therapy because they could not provide you with the, the support or, or the emotional support or the advice? Um, no, I mean, they, they definitely did. I remember my mom having the conversation with me of like, this is what you do if someone's bullying you. And this is what you do if, you know, just walk away and, and still be nice and don't be mean back and don't give them a reaction. Um, but I think it was, I think it was a combination of everything and then them transferring me to a new school um, and me having to start in a new school um, and being bullied there as well. Um, not for different reasons because I was the new kid. Um, and I was, you know, I was a, I was a weird little kid. Uh, that's okay for me to say. Um, but well, we all grow out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, I think they did the best that they could, but I think it got, there was just so much going on that they needed help in dealing with it and they needed advice in the same way that I did. So that's why they turned to therapy. I can't speak for them, of course, but that's, that's my biggest assumption. Um, I guess I have a couple, I'm going to have a lot of questions, but my, I guess my next question is, do you know if your parents had gone to therapy for their own issues and that's why they thought therapy would be helpful to an eight year old? Yeah. Um, without, you know, going too much into it, uh, both of my parents, before I was in therapy and after, have gone to therapy. Um, and my dad has always found it very beneficial. And I think that's part of the reason why they did it. Um, and I think that they noticed some things with themselves that was coming out in me. Um, and they were concerned about that. And they thought, you know, hey, um, there's this great place and it wouldn't be too bad to try it. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy so much having to keep it a secret. Um, I felt like, but I, I enjoyed, I still remember her name and she still was a, she was a good part of my childhood and brought a lot of happiness and joy in my life. So I, I, I don't know if eight is too young for therapy or if it was the right decision, but I think it was the right decision for me. Well, I said when we talked in the pre-interview that I was impressed with, you know, how you handled all of it and how mature you are. I think probably as a result, though, I am not a mental health professional, but, you know, I'm definitely impressed with your positive attitude. Um, I want to go back a little bit. So you sounded like you went at age eight, you took a couple of years off. I think you might have been, you said, having some problems with your diet and you went back at age 11. Mm -hmm. So we, um, my family, love them to death. Um, they're, you know, love my parents. They've supported me a lot in the past few years and all of the decisions that I've made. Um, but there were a lot of things that they did some missteps when we were growing up, um, which is understandable. Both of my parents are a little bit older. Um my mom is 62 now and my dad is 73. Okay. Um, so they were both from a time period of not really talking about a whole lot of things and a lot of different type of issues. And when I was 11, we went into family therapy. 
Okay. Um, and so my sister and I didn't get along. We still really don't get along, unfortunately. Um, and so my parents thought that family therapy would be a good place for us to kind of talk everything out and get some things worked on and make it a better home environment. Um, and during that time, they decided that I was going to go back into singular therapy as well. Um, and that everyone, I think, except for my sister, went back into family or singular therapy as well as family therapy. Um, now, is this an older sister? I'm guessing based on your parents' age, but I could be incorrect. Oh, no, yes. She's older. She's four and a half years older than me. Okay. Yeah. And had you ever gotten along or was it more in those early teen year years or that you started having some problems? Um, we never really got along. Um, we, my parents kind of divided the um, responsibilities. So my dad was with my sister a lot more and my mom was with me a lot more. Um, and we were very separated and I don't think that that helped a whole lot with a lot of the issues. Um, right. And then, you know, I, I love my sister. I have a lot of love for her, but she is, she never really cared about me or wanted me to be around. Um, there's a story from when I, I was first born where she was like, okay, you can take her back to the hospital now. Like I'm good. Oh. Um, but she never really grew out of that mentality of, all right, you know, I don't need a sister. Uh, I don't really want her around. She didn't really share. She wasn't um, big on hanging out with me or she sometimes would tell her like her friends would be surprised if they came over and they saw me like, oh, you have a sister. And she was like, yeah, I have a sister uh, type of thing. So we never we never really got along. And we have two very different personalities as well. Um, I am much more talkative um, and much more talkative about my emotions and she is very, um, I want to say millennial in the way that she kind of just bottles it all up and then gets this outrageous feeling of rage um, mm. when she does have to address her emotions. Um, and I'm, I'm much more, let's talk about it. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Like, let's work mm. things through with words type of thing. Um, but do you think that, well, number one, four and a half years age difference is quite a number of years for siblings. Mm -hmm. um, and she, like you said, was an only child for a while. So that obviously impacted the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I had a point as, as a youngest child, I know what it's like to sort of uh, follow in my footsteps of my, my siblings and wanting to, to spend time with them. But, you know, we were much closer in age. Mm -hmm. So tell me, um, a little bit more about why you decided to participate in the weekend Shenandoah Valley out of the darkness walk for suicide prevention. Have you or known anybody that had suicidal thoughts or had basically committed suicide? If I, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've struggled with um, my own suicidal thoughts uh, since I was pretty young, um, probably around like 13 um, was around the first time that I thought about it. Um, I've always had kind of a feeling of like, well, what if I was just not here? Um, and that I think the there's like a French phrase that describes it quite well, but it's basically the call to the void. 
um, of this feeling of like, what if I just didn't exist anymore? Um, but the first time that I thought actively about, you know, taking my own life was when I was in my teens and it was quite Ooh. terrifying, um, to be honest. Um, and it was something that I had to work through and think about a lot. Um, and on top of it, I've, I've known a couple of people who have attempted, um, I haven't personally, wow. um, known anyone who has, you know, passed away. Um, but I've known a couple of people who have attempted or have been, you know, on the phone with me sobbing, um, because of those types of thoughts. And it, it's something that I don't think is talked about enough. And when it is talked about, it's very, oh, I feel so sorry for them. And yeah, feel sorry. But at the same time, realize that like, making me feel bad or think that I am talking about this for attention is going to make me feel worse is going to make me feel like I'm uh, taking up time or I'm a burden. And that's, that's part of the reason why people get those, at least for me, um, get those thoughts in my head is I'm just taking up too much time for other people. I'm taking up too much space. It would just be easier um, if I wasn't around for everyone else. And then I remember, but that's not true because so many people love me and care about me and want me to be around. Um, so, yeah. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's important to note what you said about people expressing, you know, that it, you, you feel like it's a burden when you share that information with people. They certainly don't know how to respond mm -hmm. to it. I don't know that um, many people do know the right thing to say or what not to say. So my question to you is, was this something that you worked through with your therapist? I mean, how did you stay basically out of the dark and how are you managing now? Is it therapy? Is it medication? Um, so I started on my medication when I was 13, four, 14 years old. Um, I was a freshman in high school. Um, and that was that was pretty helpful. Um, I, I do remember at the beginning, there's this idea of when you're getting help, that you're losing this identity that you have of like, I'm a depressed person. That's who I am. That's that's what I'm known as. Um, and I, I remember knowing that I needed to take my meds, knowing that it would make me feel better and sitting there in my bathroom sobbing because I didn't want to lose this thing that I thought made me me. Um, however, I took them and I felt better and I was going to therapy, you know, once a week and feeling better talking through some things. Um, and the biggest thing was getting out of my house when I was 16 years old and moving out on my own. Uh, like I said, I love my parents. Uh, I think though that we do better loving each other from afar um, and having our own space to work through our emotions, I think has been the biggest thing in kind of restoring everyone in my family. Um, so that, that was your idea to move out of yeah, 16? Yeah, I, I applied for college um, when I was, I was 15 years old when I applied and 16 when I started. Um, I, I applied by myself. My parents did not know. Um, and they ended up getting an email from Mary Baldwin uh, being like, congratulations, your daughter has made it past the first round. You know, we love to set up a time for an interview. 
and they were like hey what's going on uh and I was like yeah I applied for college and I applied to take the SATs a year early and uh I need a ride for that uh have a good night <laughs> um and yeah good, good yeah and at first they weren't really on board um they were kind of a little apprehensive about it but they saw how how great of an opportunity it was um and how I was struggling in high school and I wasn't fitting in and I didn't I didn't want to be there um and I I missed a lot of school my sophomore year just simply because I wanted to go home and sleep I didn't want to be around people I didn't really want to be in class I didn't want to do anything um and once I started at Mary Baldwin I just kind of flourished and grew and I found a subject that I love and I studied it and I found people that I loved and it was it was a really amazing opportunity for me um so I'm glad that they let me end up doing it so what subject did you study at Mary Baldwin? And I know that you're currently working there Yeah, as well. so I got my undergraduate degree in anthropology and sociology. It was a joint major. Um, I was one of, I was the last year of anthropology majors at Mary Baldwin. Um, and I absolutely adored it. Um, it taught me so much about how to be a better person and how to be, you know, more present in the world and how... To f- yeah, I mean, how to fight against a lot of the issues that we have today all through anthropology. And now I'm getting my master's of arts in teaching and special education. And I really hope to go into student advocacy work um, up in D.C. Excellent. Yeah. Good for you. And I think you will be a great. Yeah. Advocate. Yeah. I hope. I hope so. I hope so. So where do you think besides going to, to college early, was there a pivotal, pivotal moment in your life or in therapy that, as Oprah Winfrey would say, the aha moment? Um, it actually happened yesterday, um, I think. Um, as I said, I didn't do therapy when I was in college. I would come, when I came home for the summers, I would do a couple of sessions Um, But for the most part, I stopped going to therapy when I was 16. Um, And it was my choice, finally my choice, to go into therapy this past year. And with corona, um, kind of thankfully, uh, now everything's virtual so I could go back and see my old therapist. And I asked her the question of like, why have I been in therapy so long? Um, Because it doesn't seem like that's very normal. And she said, she said to me, there's two different types of trauma. There's capital T trauma and lowercase t trauma. And what you experienced was lowercase t trauma. And you would come to therapy and we would work through your issues. And then we'd send you home and you'd go through the same trauma all week that we just worked on. And it was the same thing for years. And that's why right. nothing changed. But now I'm doing I'm doing like reparenting techniques and stuff like that um, and EMDR to kind of um, mm-hmm. bridge some gaps that I feel not just with my parents, but also in general social situations that kind of need to be re- like rephrased in my brain or 
if I could respond to it differently, knowing what I know now, how would I do that type of therapy um, to help with some of my intrusive thoughts and feelings. Um, Can you explain to the listeners what EMD is it EMDR yeah, therapy um, is? So I don't know what it stands for. I couldn't tell you. Uh, <laughs> I don't either, but I have heard of it and I have. Yeah. It um, so basically uh, you wear these like headphones um, and you have, if you want to keep your eyes open, there are these little dots that move on the screen. Um, but what it does is it mimics uh, REM uh, sleep, like rapid eye movement. Um, and you focus on a thought or a memory that you're having and you work on going back to that and tracing the feeling that you get from that and then addressing it and, and visualizing yourself addressing that situation in a different way. Um, for example, uh, there was a time when my, my parents were fighting in front of me. So I focus on that. I focus on the feeling that I got from that situation. And then I go back now as my present self and think about, well, how would I react to this situation? And what did younger me need from this situation? And what can I give her to kind of help heal that, that wound uh, type of thing? And it's been, it's a lot of tears. <laughs> um, right. Very and emotional. it's a lot of work. But I can say every time I've done it, I have left feeling like a weight is lifted off my chest. Um, and I feel so much better about certain situations because of it. And I really, I really do think that it's a great form of therapy. What would you tell, I'd say, what would you tell your younger self? And I feel like that's intrusive <laughs> on your therapy right now. But what would you tell someone else who is suffering similar experiences of either depression or being a victim of school bullying or is even thinking about suicide? What would um, you tell them? For what the about? bullying, I can honestly tell them it is 100% not about you. There is, and it sounds so ridiculous and so cliche, but it really is true that whoever's bullying you is bullying you because they have self-esteem issues that they need to address. And instead of working on that, they're going to pick on someone to make them feel better. Um, that's the biggest thing that I've, I've learned from all of the bullying I've experienced is it is not about you. Um, in terms of right. depression and, and, and suicide, it, it's a day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute fight. And you can, if you're feeling a certain way, look at the clock and say, okay, if I'm still feeling this way in 60 seconds, I'm going to think about something else. Or I just need to sit and feel this emotion and not do anything, not react to it, but just feel it. And then identify why I'm feeling this way. What triggered this? What triggered me feeling this way? And how can I not feel this way again? And it, it, it makes it sound so simple, but it's so very hard. Um, to sit and feel your emotions and not pick up your phone or text someone. Yeah. Agree. Or, Agree. you know, check social media because that's only going to make you feel worse. 
I can say for myself, um, you know, I'll be feeling left out or alone. And then I check my phone and all these people are having a good time and it just makes me feel worse. Um, and it, you have to learn to be present in who you are and the moment and what's going on around you. And that's really going to help so, so much and just keep fighting. And what about, I know a lot of times people have these thoughts, don't share Mm -hmm. them with somebody else, but did you want people to pick up on signs that you were struggling and did you want them to approach you and ask you questions? I guess what I'm trying to get at is what advice would you give to other people who might suspect that someone is yeah. has suicidal thoughts? If you suspect it, say something. Um, I mean, there is definitely times when I would look a certain way or act a certain way and hope that someone would say something to me. Um, and they either did or they didn't. And that was devastating in both ways because then you have to address it or or no one addresses it right. and you keep feeling like that and then you feel even more alone um but if you sometimes people don't though and that's the, that's the hardest thing is sometimes there there really is no sign it just happens and that's the worst thing about it and that's why we need to have these types of conversations is because some people just bottle it all up and you'd never suspect a thing and something happens and it's devastating. And I'm glad that every time I was feeling that way, I either said something or someone said something to me that made it change. But I know that's not always the case. That yeah. is that is very true. Yeah. And so you're trying to rebuild, it sounds like, a relationship <laughs> with your family. And I mean, the relationship was never truly broken. It was just dysfunctional. (laughs) I think it's the best way to put it. Um, But it's it's going very well. Um, I'm, you know, the biggest thing is setting boundaries as an adult um, and saying, you know, this is what I want to talk about. And this is what I don't want to talk about. And these are the types of things that I want to do together and the types of things I don't want to do together. Well, I want to thank you for being so candid with us and sharing your story. And, you know, as I told you before, the goal of this program is to help other people who are experiencing similar circumstances and struggling to hopefully get some great advice, which you have certainly given and give them some hope. um, Yeah, because they will. I promise. It might not seem like it, but they will. Well, thank you again, Catherine, yeah, thank for you being so much part for of this podcast. Me. For more information about mental health, visit the National Association of Mental Illness website at nami.org. And to learn more about suicide prevention, you can go online to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline website at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. You can listen to previous episodes of Speaking Candidly with Candace on our website, speakingcandidlywithcandace.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.